Welcome back to Inside the Ordinary. I'm here with John Panetta. And uh, John and I actually just met, formally. And we're talking about his powerlifting journey. If we want to just uh, continue right where we left off. Um, so you were talking about your parents and how they didn't really quite know what level you were at until what happened? So, yeah, just going over that story again. The whole time, for probably two or three years, my parents thought I was just powerlifting for fun. They're like, oh, you know, you're going to a competition. Have fun. Good luck. Don't be too worried. You'll be fine. We'll still love you after. You win or lose. So I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. So my leading up to World Championships this year, my parents saw me was like stressing out a lot for that competition prep just because it was the biggest competition I was ever going to do, right, or have ever done so far. That so anybody could ever are, do. Exactly, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the highest level you could do. Yeah. So basically when uh, one day we were leaving to actually go to work, for me to like go to work because I worked a good life at that time, and they were actually my clients at that time. So I was about to go train them, and then we were leaving, and all of a sudden we get a knock on the door. So we get a knock on the door, and there's three people that showed up. So at first, they show up, and they're asking for me at the door, and my dad answers. Yeah. And they're like, Hey, we're looking for John Pineda. He's like, why? <laughs> and they're like, they're like, oh. what did he do now? <laughs> and I'm like, what did he do? <laughs> so mind you, yeah, they looked like they were suspicious at first. <laughs> he, he thought they were like Jehovah Witnesses at yeah. first. He was like, hi guys, <laughs> like how are no you? Thanks. Thanks, <laughs> no, but no thanks, thanks, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks. Okay, I answered the last guy. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> like, but then he's like, um, he's like, uh, so what are you guys here for? He's like, and they were like, oh, we're actually gonna take this drug test. And they're like, and he's like, what? Why? What the fuck did he do? <laughs> what, did, what did John do? So he calls me over right away. He's like, JR, JR. <laughs> he's like, he's like, why are you taking your drug test? What for? And I'm like, I don't know. What are you guys? So they tell me it's CCES. Yeah. CCES is by WADA, which are basically the drug and anti-doping agency of our federation. The same people that do the Olympics basically mm -hmm. so these guys they're trying to take my blood test and my parents constantly are asking them they're like why are you taking his blood what's the reason for this did you cheat is he on drugs what are you taking <laughs> and, and they're just like oh no, no no this is like right now we're only doing like um what do you call it in-home testing or out of competition testing for like higher level athletes or within like athletes within Canada that may raise quote-unquote suspicion right right so my parents didn't understand what that meant until basically they asked again they're like okay so are you guys doing this for everyone they're like oh no no no, we're only doing this for certain athletes within canada like the top level athletes within canada yeah and my parents didn't understand again so they're like <laughs> okay so what does that mean it's like oh your son's a national champion and he's actually going to world championships and when they asked again they're like okay what's world championships they're like oh your son's ranked technically unofficially at that time number two in the world that's what they told my parents and they're like number two in what world in your weight in your weight class right <laughs> 53 class, kilo yeah. yeah so my parents are like what do you mean in the world they're like <laughs> he competes for canada now technically yeah and he has like an unofficial like um ranking and that was like posted by the ipf and all that so they're like oh so my parents are like oh okay go take his blood don't worry <laughs> he doesn't have steroids it's like, he, he can't afford it right now <laughs> it's like it's okay he's still living with us it's okay <laughs> he's living with us he can't afford it it's okay I'm like, all right, fine, take my blood, here you go. That's amazing. That's 
crazy that it took for that to happen. Three years. <laughs> Three years for them to finally realize what I was doing. So on the on the world stage, wow. So how how did powerlifting even start for you? I mean, like obviously, you know, the world stage didn't come to you overnight. Oh, this was actually a fun story. This was a good story. So when good. I first started, I was like, if you ever see my before picture, I was seventy seven pounds wet. <laughs> like I was tiny. I think I was borderline anorexic at that time. Well, I went through your a little bit of your social media and I scrolled to the bottom and I was like, wow, this guy, yeah. he was quite tiny. <laughs> I was like 77 pounds away. <laughs> I was tiny. Yeah. And when I first started, I was with my big brother, uh, the guy that you saw in that picture. Yes. Right. So Paul, actually my number one supporter. That guy's fucking amazing. I love Aww. that guy. Um, but with Paul, I remember him telling me. Like, he was a hard-ass on me, for one, with form and technique. We didn't know form and technique that well, <laughs> but he was a hard-ass on me. <laughs> like, we, we knew a good amount, but, like, it wasn't, like, perfect. But it was good enough to get me, like, from, like, beginner to intermediate and so forth, right? Right. But he was a hard-ass on me. And a lot of the time he told me before that I wouldn't get stronger than him. So I was like, yo, bet. <laughs> I was like, bet. <laughs> so I was a hard-ass to me being competitive with him, chased him down all the time. Weight for weight, set for set. I remember at that time, I was barely pushing 12 pounds on dumbbells. Yeah. I was fighting females for dumbbells. There's only so many 10s. There's only so many 10s in the gym. I was like, oh yo. Oh my gosh. I, like, I would ask them, like, are you done with the 10s? Like, yeah, can, I, can I use them? Like, and, like, and really shy and bashful, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, okay, thank you, okay. How many more sets? Sorry, thank you. <laughs> that was me. That was me back then. Yeah. So I chased them down. Um, and then eventually, uh, within that year... I was actually look. We both looked into powerlifting, and back then, there was almost zero information on powerlifting. I was gonna say, because yeah, back then powerlifting what? definitely was not what it is today. What you had for information were made for guys on equipped lifting, so it didn't really transfer well for raw lifters. So non-equipped lifters that didn't use suits or deadlift suits, squat suits, squat briefs, things like that, or wraps. So form and technique was technically a lot different. In comparison to the information you're getting, right? So because with like with like an equipped uh, squat, their squat is super wide. Yeah. And the you don't have to hit the kind of depth that you do for. Well, they do technically, but it's yeah. just that with an equipped lift with a suit on, they've got a lot more stability within their adductors, so they're okay. allowed to be a lot wider with their stance right. because their adductors are now supported by that suit right okay so they have a lot more hip stability for them to go down deeper with a wide stance but if you're to do that raw say you you have 700 pounds on your back you might snap unless <laughs> you're like extremely stable within your hips right? yeah unless you got that crazy hip strength and that upright torso which is almost nearly impossible in my opinion to do right you got some lifters doing that but usually with a low bar instead of like the traditional, well, they don't use high bar and equip lifters, equip lifting, but it is a lot more upright in comparison to raw lifters, mm -hmm. right? Because, so yeah. Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, 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 sorry. Yeah, it's just because that suit keeps them a lot more upright and a lot more stable, right? So you and your brother were mm -hmm. on this search to find some info on raw uh, yes. powerlifting, and what uh, happened? So when you first started, it was a lot of, Westside Barbell, Louis Simmons, Masthetics, not much information on there. Um, YouTube videos here and there. Powerlifting was 
a sport people look down upon on in YouTube at least, and that was like our main source of information back then. People were like, "Oh, I don't want to be a powerlifter because you'll just be fat, and it's like you can't look like you're lifting the same amount that you should be lifting." You know what I mean, right? Like powerlifters don't look as muscular as bodybuilders. So that's people, still that's, that's still, still, that's still a, thing. a judgment now. That's still a judgment now. But back then, if you wanted to learn powerlifting, you had to injure yourself to learn. <laughs> that's basically <laughs> it. Like. You had to go through hell to like understand what was happening, like accumulating strength, accumulating fatigue, um, auto regulation, things like that. You would not understand that back then unless you tested methods, you tested different cookie cutter programs out there and modified them yourself. Like the biggest ones uh, I ran were Smolov, Shaco, you know, the five by five, the normal ones that you would still see nowadays that are like cookie cutter programs, but eventually in time i learned to modify them myself modify training intensity modify the rpe scaling on them things like that right so that came in time as powerlifting progressed as well information progressed which is good and like a lot more books came out a lot more information came out so that definitely aided a lot with that and that was actually after me and my brother stopped training together because he got busy with school i got a lot more intense with understanding powerlifting so took it upon myself to like read books read articles like anything newsletters to like videos to podcasts i try and just learn just because i told myself eventually in the future i want to coach and i want to be able to coach people with at least a good amount of knowledge that i can take them from point a to b in a in an efficient amount of time and more importantly in a safe like very safe manner a hundred percent i was like because i do not want any of my athletes injured like how I got injured. <laughs> but it's all, it's all trial and error, right? Yeah. You, you got to be the guinea pig at the beginning. <laughs> got to be the guinea pig. Just to go back on your point, it was a small point, but it was it was very true because I'm learning it now as a beginner power lifter. The 5x5 five five program, it is your worst enemy, but it's the greatest thing that you can do in terms of progression. Yeah. Linear progression with a 5x5 five five program can't really go wrong for your first year to be honest you could run that for a full year and still progress yeah like i i would i could run it for somebody and like progress them with it it's not it's not a big thing right it's just like now there's slightly more efficient techniques and like programming styles to use and utilize especially when you're getting heavier in weight as well five by five is maybe not always yeah linear progression stops after a while that's the one thing and two the one thing you'll notice is fatigue is gonna accumulate so fast so i'm learning about like your uh, central nervous system crapping out oh yeah (laughs) and i am learning about that fast (laughs) yeah cns burns out very fast with it um because if you think about it you have a steady load for five sets of five, right? So say that weight is hard the first set. It is gonna get harder and harder <laughs> set for set. So And to uh for your nerve uh, your central nervous system to crap out, it's like you're getting sick. Like that feeling. Oh yeah, yeah. Fatigue does that to you. Um but honestly you gotta with any kind of strength program, you've gotta really like take care of your recovery days like take a lot of recovery measures mobilize um like hot baths um get massages whatever it might be like just recover (laughs) like recover like your recovery days are more important than your training days in my opinion at certain points in training 
Are you speaking from experience yes. in a sense? <laughs> Did you go really hard in the beginning when you were first learning about powerlifting? Honestly, in the beginning, you can go all out because your fatigue state is so high because you don't know your actual limits. And two, you're always pushing sub-maximal loads. In your first year, you never really know what your real max is. You could be maxing out every week technically in your first year and it would still be linear progression as long mm. as you keep it within a basis of like a steady program. Yeah. You could, you could do that. Like I've done that for clients who are second like, a steady year. They would be adding like five, 10 pounds a week. And that's normal because it's steady linear progression. I'm realizing that. Right? Yeah. But at a certain point, you're going to see that that peak is going to dip and you're going to notice, oh, okay. Or you just plateau. Or you plateau. And that's yeah. when, you know, a change is needed. Or if not, something has to be recalculated, right? Or if not, it might just be your fatigue levels. It's like, okay, why am I not be able to like hit 100% again this week? And it's linear progression and i'm only let's say 14 weeks in all right maybe a deload is needed right yeah. fatigue is pretty high let's do a deload week see where that goes resets the cns gets everything back up okay cool let's try again see yeah. where that goes right so a lot of trial and error with that but in my opinion recovery days if you aren't doing them already take care of those <laughs> like, like get, those, get those get those under under yourself <laughs> i'm trying <laughs> So how did you go, like, I'm still in amazement, like, at 21 years old, and you are powerlifting on the world stage, how did you prep for that? Um, honestly, the first time I tried prepping for it, because I wanted to go to Worlds as a sub-junior when I was 18, I didn't know about so much. that's what sub-junior yeah. means, okay. Sub-junior is 18 and under, okay. but what happened was, I did my first meet at 18, I think I was turning 19 that year. Yeah. Or I think, no, I think I was 18 already and I wasn't qualified to be a sub-junior anymore. And I didn't know much about competing, honestly. I came in that day of my first competition. So I was so dumb. I came in my first day <laughs> of my competition with a fresh belt, quote-unquote fresh belt. So I never wore it for training because I was like, oh, if I keep it fresh, it'll be much better for me. It's going to look so good on the day yeah. of competition. <laughs> yeah, I was so wrong. Man, if you ever buy an Inzer belt, you already know that thing is thick. It's a leather belt. That thing was digging into my ribs every attempt I had at the deadlift. Like, <laughs> I was dying. I was dying. I, I could barely get the, like, the bar off the floor without dying. Yeah. So, I remember too, I wore knee sleeves during bench because I thought I would stay tighter. Interesting. I don't know. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, ooh, I'll stay tighter with knee sleeves on. I don't know. Trial and error. <laughs> Trial and error. No judgment here. I learned. I learned. What, uh, what were your numbers your first lift? Uh, your first meet? I thought I was strong back, back then, but man, I was like, that's just because I, I went to good life. And like, <laughs> I like, so my first meet, I was 110 pounds in a 116 or 117 category. So I was supposed to be 53 kilos. I think I weighed in 50 kilos. So I still weigh about the same when it comes down to like my meets now because I can at least lean out better. But now it's like steady muscle mass. Like I'm at 7% or 10% and below body fat percentage Jeez. during my meat days, which is good, which is like a good thing. But What do you eat? Like dry rice and dry chicken? <laughs> my, my OG followers know kale. Kale. It's kale. I love it's kale. Just kale. I love <laughs> That's it. Just I'm a rabbit. Kale and air. Kale and air. That's all I eat. Kale and air. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, your uh, your numbers, what were they your first Ooh, week? I think I hit only 
1025 with for the squat which is 225 226 um bench i think they said i was strong but it was like 185 i'm pretty sure i hit like 185 and they're like wow this kid's strong <laughs> look at him <laughs> and i was laughing because i'm like okay <laughs> thanks well because you didn't know right? i didn't know i didn't yeah. know yeah and then my deadlift um it was weird because during my prep i pulled 405 off of blocks at like 110 pounds and i thought i could pull that off the platform right. and i was so wrong i hit i hit i think 335 or 315 at most on on the day of and at that time i think that was like i set the standard for the sub juniors and i think that still stands now because not many people compete in 53 so i think i set the standard for for a sub junior 53 records and i think it's still up i think it's still up wow yeah and that was like Three, four years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Not three too, too years, long years, ago. Three years, three years. It's gotta be three years. Not too Maybe long four. ago. Yeah. Going through this um, powerlifting journey myself, um, again, still very much at the beginning stages, I'm realizing as much as people say you don't, you know, look as muscular as, say, a bodybuilder or any sort of other, um, like, strength athlete, you sure have to have somewhat of a regimented diet. Because just like you said, kale and air, but (laughs) (laughs) like I'm trying to um, stay within a certain like caloric intake Mm -hmm. and to even meet that caloric intake is a struggle for me. Yeah, definitely. Because we, because we break it down into macros, right? So it's the carbs, the fat and the protein. Uh, the protein and the fat, fat usually is not too hard for me to fulfill. <laughs> it's really the carbs that's such a struggle for me. Now, somebody of your size, like 53 kilos, that's pretty small. Like what, what is your diet like? Honestly, aside from kale and air. You guys would be shocked. And people are always shocked when they see me eat because they wouldn't believe that I stay at 53 until I step on the scale. So my metabolism is really fast. For one, two, I don't hold on to calories all throughout the day, meaning I just burn them off really quickly during my training. Because yeah. aside from doing the big three, I'm a big advocate of like accessories and doing bodybuilding accessories because as important the, as the big three are and variations of the big three when trying to progress them, in my opinion, progressing accessories and working on smaller muscle groups are far more important. Because it's the stabilizers and let's say just smaller muscle groups will help you overall with any of the big three lifts because they are compounds and the smaller isolation movements will in turn like slowly move forward with everything, right? Um, But with me, eating wise, (laughs) so to put it into perspective, whenever we go out to eat, I can't share pizza because I have to eat one to myself. Like minimum or medium. If yes. not, I yes. eat like a large, so medium, if you know, that has like how many calories, maybe 2,500 or so, depending Roughly. on what you get, depend, yeah. depends on what you get, so that's one meal, yeah. but usually within a day, someone of my size, when I calculate it, I should be taking about, technically, about 2,500 or less, right, Right. to be at maintenance, yeah. right, um, but for me, what I actually eat is about 3,500 or more within a day how because i'm still trying to figure that out i'm still trying to figure out how to fit in tw- i think i'm supposed to intake 2150 or something like that and i'm still trying to figure that out 
of how you fit in so much food in such a short period of time. <laughs> I'm just, honestly, I just move a lot. Okay. <laughs> I move a lot. That's the one thing. That's good. Um, but it's, it's like for me, when it comes down to like getting food in, I like taking big meals. Like usually I'm too busy in the morning and miss breakfast. So if not, I like snack throughout the day. And I'll, and people know when they, they see me on Snapchat or at school, they'll know that I'm always snacking on something. And I always snack on like calorie dense food. Like whatever it might be, good, good or bad, good or yeah. good or bad calories. Yeah, I'm still, <laughs> or calories. I'm still getting some kind of calorie in there. Right. Something. Um, but speaking of this, actually, I've lost a lot of weight recently just because of like after worlds and like the whole depression thing for a while. So yes. that that like that dropped my weight down. But before that, like during any of my meat preps, I usually stand about fifteen pounds more than my weight class. Oh, okay. So my weight class is technically about 150, 116, 117, depending, right? But I like to come in around 115. That's my usual weight for when I compete. Right. Um, but I usually walk around 125, 130 as my walking weight off season. <coughs> we weigh the same. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Good. Uh, just to go back to uh, something that you had mentioned about the accessory work and the importance of that, I saw on your Instagram you have these uh, PL <coughs> hacks. Mm. Yes. So explain a little bit about that and w the motivation behind starting that. Because I love it. It's great. Yeah, like honestly, it was from experience. Like just honestly, just experience in the gym and in competition and like figuring out why certain things happened. Um, <clears throat> my biggest problem before uh, when I was deadlifting was the bar would always slip out of my hands because I do mixed grip, right? So unless you did a hook grip, you couldn't really secure a tight grip on the bar itself um if the loads got too heavy the bar would just usually slip off your hands right your palm would open out and it would just slip off so for me i was trying to figure it out I was like why does the bar keep slipping for me i'm like is it my grip strength yeah probably that's one thing um or is it just because of like positioning so two things happened um i played around with grip positioning so all the way up my palm and then down onto like just end of my palm just where the fingers start right so i was testing that out both worked out for me but it was still slipping so leverages worked well on either end it didn't really matter for me it didn't change too much for my for my own style of pulling but what i noticed was when i started chalking the front of my fingers my thumb wasn't slipping off whatsoever so it was like a reverse hook Interesting. grip so it was like a reverse hook grip where i actually did some another change as well was I would scratch the front of my index finger, like my the nail of the index finger, and the second finger, so my middle finger technically. I would scratch that nail, both of them. And With what? Like a key or something. Okay. So just so it would give me a rougher like surface. All right. So when I added chalk on top of that, the bar almost never slipped. It would almost get stuck in between my thumb and the nail. So it would just hook onto there. So it was like a reverse hook grip for me. Hmm. So that's when I started doing that. Definitely a powerlifting hack yeah. that I would like to try, I think. You don't need to like scratch your nail. I don't do that all, all the time. I only do it during meat days. Okay. I only do that part during meat days. In training, just regular chalk on the first two fingers, right? The index and the middle finger on the front end of it. And when you actually grip with your thumb, chalk all the way up your thumb and it helps it stay a lot better. It doesn't slip out. I'm definitely going to try that. Yeah. I'm heading to the gym today, so, yeah. and I do have to deadlift. Yeah, so it helps out, it helps out for me. 
Um, it's nothing significant. It's nothing too too big, but it stopped at least the slipping problem before. So yeah, that's cool. So you're a coach, yes, as well. Yes. And how how is that for you? Because I, I mean, I've seen you kind of in action. Mm-hmm. Uh, that meet at it was Apex. Yes. 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 And you can get quite riled up. I think that's yeah. sort of like an, an essential to being yeah. a coach. What got you into coaching? Oh, I love seeing people progress. Honestly, more than seeing myself progress. I tell my clients that all the time. They're like, oh, they always tell me like, oh, you must be annoyed if people always like messaging you and all that. And I'm like, and like clients always messaging me for updates, things like that. And I'm like, no, I'm not really annoyed by that. Yeah. I do get a lot of messages. Like I have like, 47 unread text messages right now that I have to answer <laughs> by the end of today. We won't we won't be that long. <laughs> you can get but, back to business. <laughs> but like I love like seeing people progress more than myself. Seeing someone progress and like cuz when you're a coach, you're looking out like you're outside looking in and you see a bigger picture that they don't see. And that's that happens 99% of the time. Like even for myself when I was being coached, I didn't see the bigger picture that my coach is seeing, right? And it's like that for all my athletes. It's like, I could see where their potential lies. And it's just like, all I ask for them is like, to be patient and stick to the program. Or if not, like, just stick to training. Like, have fun with your training. Because I'm not a strict coach. I'm not one of those coaches where I'm like, oh, do this, do that. Oh, Mm -hmm. why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Like, I'm very flexible with my training. And all my clients will tell you that. I'm very flexible with it. And I can adapt and change things right on the spot for them if it doesn't feel comfortable or if it just doesn't work out too well, right? Because at the end of the day, as much as you want your client to progress and you want them to be as strong as possible, you have to be able to adjust to what they honestly want. Right. Because they have things going on in their lives that affects their strength and their motivation every day. Exactly. And the worst thing you'd want is to demotivate them by pressuring them into doing like movements or exercises that they don't even like right because at the end of the day they're gonna be spending two three hours at the gym if they're like on a full-on program and it's like those two three hours it's like if they hate it they're not gonna want to do it for too long and they're just gonna feel like it's a chore and that's the worst thing you'd want like you don't want your clients to feel like training is a chore right so aside from the i mean the major differences in like training from you know at a commercial gym uh, versus training athletes, would you say that they sort of cross over in a sense? Like, there are there any similarities that you found? Is there anything that you feel that you took from Good Life, tr- like as a trainer there, and you took and implemented it in being a powerlifting coach? Oh, of course, yeah. So actually. Backstory to that, I actually went and joined Good Life for fun. <laughs> so it wasn't like a career path for me where I'm like, oh, let me join Good Life because, ooh, Good Life. <laughs> like, it was more so like I had clients already online. Um, but oh. so at a point, so I had online clients already, but at a point, um, I got bored. And I was like, okay, I'm emailing everyone, I'm just seeing videos via WhatsApp or iMessage. And, and how I- old were you at this point? I was 1920 at that time 1920 and then I was already having clients and it was like a small group but I was like okay that's kind of boring I like seeing people face of like face to face because I'm a very like people person 
So what happened was I actually joined Fit for Less. And right by my house, it opened up. And it was so odd because the GM knew who I was. I was like, right when I walked in, she's like, hey, don't I know you from somewhere? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. She's like, she's like, so she figured, she knew me from like a competition I did. And I can't even remember when and where she saw me from. But she did. And I ended up actually coaching her. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I ended up coaching her for a bit of time. And then I was coaching. She let me coach people at that Fit for Less for a good amount of time. So you're not supposed to personal trainer for less. I was just about to ask, is it, isn't it? It's not allowed. I mean, it's not allowed. Well, that's what happens when you know the right people. I guess. Exactly, right? So a lot of things get bent. <laughs> so that happened. And so I was doing that for like maybe a few months. And that was a side thing because I would do it. So I used to work full time at that time um, at Staples. Well, part time at Staples, but also like I was like, Part-time with full-time hours. Okay. Right? So I worked at Staples for like five years. Wow. I was there for five years. And then the same time I was doing that was like, say I finished work, I'll be training a client right after. So I was like always moving around. So, but I, at a certain point, I got bored of like Fit for Less. And I was like, you know what? Let's do something fun. Hit up Good Life. Went and applied. Got in. Worked at the VP location. Loved that location. It was a good spot. Loved the people around there. And honestly, I just use it as like a doorway to meet new people. <laughs> That's all I did it for. I was like, oh, hi, more people. More people throughout good re- the day. Good resources. <laughs> That's it. That's Making all your connections and networking. I ended up taking a few of them as clients afterwards, like online. So it's pretty good. But honestly, I just liked it because it was just meeting new people. But going back to your question on like what I implemented from there, the biggest things are probably your selling points. Like um, you probably heard it before where... If you want to be a personal trainer or you want to be a coach, you have to be a salesperson first. And to be a salesperson, you, yourself, you're your resume. And your credentials, whatever you've done, and your knowledge and your education are your credentials, right? So that was one thing um, that I learned a lot from them. Like, at least showing or portraying yourself in your best light. That was one thing that I learned and took away from them, was showing and showing yourself. But their selling methods were nowhere compared to what I do. Because I'm like, <laughs> I, I don't like their selling methods. <laughs> it's very forceful. Yeah. <laughs> and it sounded very robotic if you went and read their script. So one thing that anyone will tell you that have worked with me is that I don't follow a script. I don't like You're scripts. genuine. Yeah, I don't like scripts. Right. Like, I will sell to people, and I actually did make a good amount of sales um, when it came down to, like, good life. I was actually pretty good when it, when it came down to sales. Um, but it was mainly because I genuinely wanted to help the person. It was more so like, okay, we want to do this. I can do this for you. Do you want to start? <laughs> that was basically it. It was just, it was simple. It wasn't, it wasn't anything like, oh, I'll sell you this kind of program and make it look this good to you like because you know what it's it's really funny that you say that a lot of the times people say that they are really into client progression or they're in it to better the lives of others 
but really what they're saying is it's a good way for me to make a lot of money. Yeah, exactly. And you can tell the difference between those kinds of people, right? You can tell the difference between a person like you when you're being genuine and sincere about somebody's progression versus someone who is just purely a salesperson yep. and robotic, like you said. Yeah. So the minute my, like, my philosophy has always been, and I've always stuck to this, is the minute you try and sell something, you'll never see the value in it and you'll never actually sell it. So for myself, I never sell anything. I let people come to me. That's how it's always been. Like any of my clients that I've gotten, I've never actually sold to. And I was like, hey, do you want to buy my program? <laughs> it's more so like, oh yeah, I offer coaching. And I leave it at that. And usually within a day or two or a week, they'll come back. And they're like, oh yeah, I was actually interested. Like interested, like when could we start? Or how much are your rates? Things like that. And the minute you, in, like they ask to introduce the, the rate, they already know there's value in it. And they're more willing to buy it no matter what the price is, right. if they see the value in it, right? So that was always me. Like, I've never been like, hey, I can sell you this for this much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you want it? <laughs> <laughs> I was skeptical at first about, cause you do a lot of online coaching, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. Um, I have an online coach now and I was skeptical about it at first because I said, how can somebody train me online? Online, <laughs> yeah. You know, when I'm training in the gym, but I'm seeing such a benefit of it because it's, it is more cost effective yep. for, the, for the client, yep. but the response time and the attention that my coach gives me is remarkable. It's as if I see them when I'm when I'm at the gym exactly. because you have to submit well at least with my coach and I'm sure I'm sure with you as well uh, you have to submit videos and uh, daily sort of daily descriptions of how like each movement felt mm-hmm. and it's really I don't really feel the difference because I, I have had an in-person coach before mm-hmm. and now I'm experiencing the online and I feel think I'm benefiting more from the online because I feel like I'm getting more attention and feedback that way definitely like because I do one-on-one as well but honestly I don't offer the one-on-one option unless it's necessary so as in people that have literally never touched a barbell like those people are almost impossible to teach online it's I've done it but it's a hassle and a half very hard for you very a lot harder for the client and that's what I hated. It was so much harder for a client to learn. And that's why I offered a one-on-one at that. So each has a time and place. But with powerlifting especially, it's such an individualized like sport that online training works so well because you're in more tune with your body. Because usually with a personal trainer, they'll tell you what to do. They'll tra- tell you how to feel. And then they'll tell you like where to feel it, right? Yes. That's the one thing. So you're very like, you just respond to what their reaction is. It's always like that. But when you're online coached, you're responding to your own body, right? And what it's saying. So it's like your coach tells you, okay, do 200 five by five. Okay. But when you get to the gym, you're like, okay, 200 five by five in your head. And what the coach thought was supposed to be easy. But when you get there, it's like, oh, it's actually harder. So then you tell your coach or whatever it might be, you guys alter, right? But it's like at that time, you know what the weight is supposed to feel. Because you see the number and then you know how it's supposed to feel. Unlike someone just writing a number, 
at that same time and it's like okay it's supposed to feel like this for you and obviously when someone tells you that it's supposed to feel like this for you that they of and they're there with you it does change a bit of like your perspective on it right so and the thing is you can't really be like oh it feels a lot harder when your train like trainers there because what's what are they gonna tell you oh keep going push just yourself. push yeah just, just push, push through keep it going. but when you're on your own it's like you're a lot more in tune with your body you learn a lot more in my opinion a hundred percent I'm learning that so and I'm learning how much I don't know about body awareness yep. <laughs> I have almost no body I mean in comparison to when I first started even something as simple as glute activation I still have trouble with because again the lack of body awareness yep yep that's actually one thing as well I took away from like just the powerlifting aspect and implemented it like in everything that I do in life whether it be lifting a box or when I'm massaging a client or massaging at school like that's the one thing they teach us as well is body mechanics because at the end of the day with body mechanics itself it's like think about it as like your body being able to move in a way that it can last forever with whatever like load you throw at it exactly because it's like if you're not moving in a manner where it's safe for you all the time you're gonna eventually hurt something and it might not be now but it could be 10 years from now and you're cutting yourself short for another like an extra 20 years that you could have had you know exactly what I mean? exactly so. and it's it's funny that you bring up uh the way you move sort of relates to like all the things that you're involved in because i find that myself anytime i move whether i'm at work or at home i always think back to like what i'm learning in powerlifting and how the movements that I do every day can benefit me, my health, and my strength. Oh yeah, definitely. Like, there's something that I've always like talked about, which is like called the power of the barbell. And honestly, it wasn't. It's not something that's physical. Like with powerlifting in itself, as much as it is just a simple sport that everyone like participates in nowadays, or anyone can participate in, it's more so like for myself. It brought me so much into my life. Like with powerlifting in itself. Obviously, as you can see, it opened up a career path for me. It opened up a lot of like doors as far as socializing. So I've met so many people within the community. Almost anyone that competes in the OPA, I probably know, that have competed at least once or twice within the last three, four years. I probably know them. So that brought up a lot as far as like a family, right? And then too, it's like the mental aspect powerlifting brings as well with strength training. It's you, a big mental game too. Honestly, like you don't know how strong you're until like you get Push deep, yourself. yeah, deep into your training, and it's like even after your training itself, you just feel a lot more accomplished. And it's like you feel a lot stronger mentally, right? So you feel a lot better, like emotionally and like mentally, where you're more confident in everything that you do. At least that's what like uh, like powerlifting has done for me. Because before I started powerlifting, yeah, I was an outgoing kid, but. I was never as confident as I was after powerlifting. And that's not even because like I competed or anything. It's just like, I was like, wow, I feel good. I'm accomplishing something for myself, right? So it's pretty good. It, I find that as well. Even if I had sort of a crappy day and I know I have to train that evening, I might be tired. I might feel really unmotivated. But I know once I go to the gym, 
I'm going to feel reinvigorated again, even if I don't make a lift or something doesn't feel right. I know I'm working through the process to get to where I want to be. And that process for me just brings me like so much happiness that I didn't know that a sport could bring me because growing up, I was sort of an athletic kid, but it sort of took a backseat to academics because yeah. I became really into academics. Um, some may call me a bookworm, but anyways. Uh, but yeah, I just, I didn't know that sports could bring me motivation so late into my life, I guess. And I've, re I've really found that with powerlifting and the community aspect as well and the support that you get. I want to tell you, when I first walked into, I'm sure you've been to uh, Fortis. Yep, love Fortis. And the first time I went, it was the most intimidating place I've ever walked into. I can see that, yeah. <laughs> I can see that. Everyone knew, everyone looked like they knew exactly what they were doing. They knew exactly why they were here. And they knew how to do each movement to the T. <laughs> And I turned to my boyfriend and I said, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. And as, I don't know, it's been maybe about, maybe about six months that I've been consistent. I have grown to realize that that place has only been a place of embrace and community and a place to feel comfortable making mistakes. Honestly. Like you said, you thought everyone knew what they were doing. Everyone's just as lost as you. <laughs> Everyone's just as lost as you. They might know what's on their program, but they don't know why it's programmed half the time. <laughs> That's good to know. Like, they don't know why it's programmed half the time, but... Or how those numbers came about. But they're there regardless. Yeah. They're still and you And you go to Band of Barbells? Yes. Uh, I'm a team member there at Band of Barbells. Uh, May and Dan just opened up a gym. They just had the grand opening this week, which is amazing. Congrats to those two. Um, it was initially just a team, actually, about two years back. We had just a team in PhysioMed, which is where Dan worked. And we had, at that time, only one ER rack and one squat rack. And we shared it between, like, 13 people. Oh, my gosh. And now we've grown to the point where we've got a whole facility full of ER racks, competition plates and equipment, a bunch of bars, and a whole community behind us, So that, which is amazing. So like we said, like powerlifting grows the community or brings in community so easily. And it creates a family. It creates, a, honestly, it creates a family because it's one of the few sports that I know where, outs, like in a competition, this is one of the few sports that I've seen within a competition where the person that you're trying to beat is also trying to cheer for you to make your final win. I know! That's crazy. <laughs> like you want the person to win even though you want to win. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, go get that lift. But like, yo, don't beat me though. Like, <laughs> like yeah, chill though. Like, chill. <laughs> you're, you're, you're lifting a little too good now. <laughs> like, chill, chill, chill. Like, oh, wait, oh, wait. <laughs> it's, yeah, and that's one thing that I realized with going to that, that was like my first powerlifting meet that I've ever been to at Apex. And the amount of energy in that space was incredible like everyone was cheering for everyone but the level of cheering and like the coaches 
and just that vibe that you got and that resonated from that it's like I, I was speechless I didn't know that there was that much um that much of a community built around powerlifting yes. and honestly it's just growing it's honestly we're just chipping the surface at this moment like at this year yeah. we've grown so much and doubled up the like the amount of people within the sport every year within canada and we're just chipping the surface like to put it into perspective i'm pretty sure the u.s has like 10 times the amount of like members we do they have so much more. Their meets are so much bigger. But, like, we've got a lot more of, like, a consistent basis of athletes constantly competing. Yeah. So, yeah, we might have less athletes, but our percentage and ratio of people competing versus not competing is higher. And it's, uh. like, we're constantly going year per year. And it's, like, at the same time, year per year, new national champs, new winners are, like, coming out of nowhere and are shocking people because, like, the sport is so easy to get into and you're see yeah just like seeing new faces and the idea of a more uh female presence in the powerlifting community yeah. as well because when i was first introduced to powerlifting all you kind of see and feel is that aggression and that male dominance yep. And then over the last little while, you're seeing more and more and more female presence. That's that's definitely a thing. Like, for me, I was initially, I remember, like, last year during my prep for, not, like, nationals, yeah. It was last year nationals. I was prepping for it. And I remember all I was watching was Maria Hitti. Oh, oh, I was like, yes. Maria Hitti. I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to catch up to her. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I'm like, she's so strong. For a small lady, she is, she is a strong, so strong one. She's one of the greatest we have in Canada. She's amazingly strong. But it's like the female community is slowly growing. And man, some of these females are like insane. They're stronger than me. And I'm like, okay, that's not hard. But I'm like, yo, I'm like, that's crazy. I'm like, yo. I'm like, how? Like nodding your head. I'm like, just... wow. Okay. I'll compete with you. <laughs> Like, we can get down to the same weight class. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're not only a coach, but, and a world-renowned powerlifter, but you also recently started a clothing line. Yes. Prevail Lifestyle. Right. So, Prevail. What, yeah, like, what was, what was, what's the significance behind your, your clothing line? Oh, actually... I recently talked about this, and we actually are going to release a video on this uh, oh. in the near future. Okay. We're just editing and getting a few things ready for it. But with Prevail, I've stated this before, but it's actually a selfish escape that I made during the time that, that I had depression, or when I first got diagnosed with depression. Okay. So during that time, I was like, I need something to hold me down accountable, because all I'm doing was trying to kill myself at that time which was horrible but at the same time i was like i need something to hold me down and be accountable for it and i need something to like portray my image and what i lived with or what i loved as far as like morals and just my general thought process without having to speak and 
that's when I art. Yeah, honestly, and I love creativity. And if anyone knows, creativity is the one thing that I would pay a bunch of money for, no matter what it was. Like if it was creative, like I buy it. Yeah. I don't care. Like I can't put a price on creativity. That's the one thing. And right now we're also lo- looking for like a creative genius. You know, like <laughs> you know, hit us up, hit us up. Um, but, That's good to know. But with that being said, so with Prevail, it actually had a lot of changes, and it's been a process for technically three years. But it's only been documented for about two, or technically one on social media. But um, during that time, I created it, and it was initially just called Prevail. But then I recently found out, very quickly, someone took that name. So I was like, <laughs> "All right, fine." That's so, it's it's tricky. It's tricky. So I started Prevail Athletics first. Prevail Athletics is actually my coaching brand, and that's where I coach clients. Um, worked out for about a year, and then I finally put a face on Prevail renamed it to prevail lifestyle because prevail wasn't just going to be for sports and athletics prevail was going to ma- be made for anything and everything that you did throughout the day so, so streetwear kind of as in well in a sense yeah in a sense but more so there was meaning behind the logo and it wasn't just a name it was an actual brand that's yeah. what i wanted to initially like put out there i was like we're not just a name we're not just a person like printing on our logo on different apparel we actually have like a brand behind this logo, right? And that's completely different from just a name in general, right? A brand has a meaning, a brand has uh, layers to it, right? A brand has a lot of depth to it. To it. So with Prevail, initially the first logo is actually this. As you can see, it's a mountain and an iceberg that I drew myself and did a calligraphy on on the name, right? That's so. Nice. That was the first initial one, but that evolved in time. Um, now the ones that you see on social media—that's the—that's our actual like standard logo. Now this is like the logo that we finalized or that I finalized, and it's the first portion is the mountain, the bottom is the iceberg. So as straightforward as it is, so the mountain actually signifies all the things that everyone sees that are accomplishments or that are the great things you see in life, right? That you portray to everyone else. Because for three years, I portrayed that I was a happy-go-lucky kid that never had any like issues or no mental issues at that time or um, mental Ill- illnesses like depression and anxiety until as of recent, about two, three weeks ago, I finally voiced it out yeah. on social media. Right, you did, yes. And that's when everyone found out and I was shocked at the amount of people that didn't know they didn't know and actually reached out to me after but i'll go into like detail about that later but so that was the mountain the ups obviously the downs that you see that you want people to see because that's surface level that's everything above the surface right that's everything you see now the iceberg icebergs are a lot bigger right they are a lot bigger than what you see up top they got a lot more depth so icebergs are everything that you don't see on the surface the training days the days that you fail, the days that you have that are horrible, the like your worst days, your you don't weakest even feel points, like getting out of bed. Exactly, your weakest points that no one knows about, right? The points that you want to deny, but you hide deep, 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 dark. That's within, great. Within that, like under that surface level, right? Yeah. That's the iceberg. Mm-hmm. So the iceberg is what people don't see. That's below the surface, right? That's, that's underneath. That's what's real. 
that's the real that's the real you that's mm-hmm. the real you and that's why it's so much bigger when you see the the logo the iceberg is so much bigger than the mountain because as big as a mountain can get the depth of an iceberg is a lot greater when it comes down to it right that inner you is a lot greater than what you put out there and it honestly is and no one else knows it except you whether you deny that real you or not it's still right there and it's still gonna either haunt you or be with you <laughs> whether you surface it or not right yeah so that's that with prevail um recently we did launch it we made i actually made a pre-sale out of actually i invested zero dollars in it that was the crazy part really zero dollars in prevail so when it started How? this is the crazy <laughs> part right so yeah. when i tell you we got support i was astonished i was so grateful i screamed almost <laughs> i was like whoa this is crazy that is a scream worthy moment because what happened was when i first started it i got a pre-sale order which i launched and it was just super simple i didn't even have any shirts yet okay just a mock-up of the t-shirts the comp t-shirts which is the championship and the royal t-shirt which is the black and the white yeah and when i gave it when i um put it out there i i got pre-orders and i got about $300 worth of pre-orders. Wow. So at that time, technically, that wasn't enough to place the order. But me being me, <laughs> I was able to talk to the manufacturer, work something out. Look at you. So I was able to work something out, and I was able to make a small order, okay? So when I made that small order, I managed to, and I can't go into detail, <laughs> but make a deal where I was able to get the rest of the shirts as well yeah. and pay when I could pay. So at first, I was initially was like, oh, maybe this is going to take three months to pay back. And I told him that. He's like, all right, whatever, fuck it. <laughs> He's like, all right. Because <laughs> we never, we, we got off a good, to a good start. Good. So I put down my deposit on there, gave him the 300 And within two days, I sold out of 99% of my shirts. Two days. Wow. So we ordered about, I think it was, I can't remember exactly the number, but we ordered a good amount of shirts. Um, and we ended up selling them selling them in basically two days and what a response yeah so that was crazy we have we have a few left from that initial batch but it was like the odd sizes like the very odd sizes like extra small yeah. extra large things like that maybe we have like a few no but one in powerlifting is extra small <laughs> no okay <Me. laughs> except for you <laughs> the small boys i know you're out there <laughs> my small boys are out there <laughs> those 53 kilos yes <laughs> so that that happened and took that money literally took everything i got from there set aside the lifter's pot which is the initial thing that we had going on there and we're actually gonna go into detail about that later on mm-hmm. as well and we're planning with that but afterwards made another batch so now this is our second batch and i actually partnered with my best friend so okay. oliver because I was um, going to ask you, is Prevail just you, or yeah, so are te- there some other masterminds behind Prevail? So technically, Prevail was just me for a good amount of time, but I managed to create a great team under me. Um, so right now, we've got the co-founder, Oliver, as of recent. He's now splitting the financials with me as far as making batch orders, because I got to the point where I'm like, I want to make bigger orders, and I want to provide more products, because our products cost us a lot more than regular t-shirts if we were gonna print on regular pre-made shirts it would cost us a third of the price 
if we were to purchase overseas or even honestly it would cost us like an eighth of the price what's the difference with these shirts that you're we were printing on so one i gave a manufacturer a hard time with them because <laughs> i'm very picky and when i say premium i want premium i was like i'm not gonna charge someone this much money for a t-shirt that's not higher quality i don't want enough. that so at first he gave me a batch with like a simple like cotton poly blend is a 50 50 blend but it felt like cardboard uh, and i was like yeah no next one so he gave me about four of them didn't like them so at a you certain didn't point, want it to be a walmart another walmart exactly shirt. so we did cut and sew so i made him ship because i felt so i was in the back room and i felt this cotton poly blend that he had but it was in a roll and i was like could we use this he's like yeah but i don't have enough i only have this roll i was like can you get some in so i was a hard ass and i made him get some in you pushed I pushed work great because then he ended up getting so the cotton was shipped from Vancouver and because they're just regular like it was a regular silk roll he had to dye it in Guelph and then bring it over to Scarborough so this locally made in Scarborough to be cut and sewn and then printed on so I made him wow. go a lot of the way. <laughs> wow so look at you using those uh, salesperson skills honestly I, I was like come on just help me out <laughs> like come on, please i'm a young entrepreneur <laughs> trying to make a difference i was like oh, please <laughs> i just begged I was like, thanks <laughs> i was like thanks but yeah so he did that nice guy love that guy um uh so that happened and then now we have our shirts and with our shirts we actually pay a little bit more too with the way it's cut because with unisex cuts they take the same fabric and they do one straight cut around to minimize the amount of excess fabric but with ours they cut each side of the shirt separately and then sew the, the sleeves on a lot more work a lot more work <laughs> for the people and to a lot more excess fabric right so that's why it costs us uh, like a lot more in comparison if we were like turning it over right mm -hmm. so ours isn't called unisex fits it's called metrosexual fits that he made which is like custom sizing which is pretty good because the way it works is it's tighter around the chest area but with the way the upper trap area is made it's a little bit longer so it accounts for the traps which is the biggest thing so the shoulder sleeve where the shoulder is it doesn't rise up and two because the way it's actually sewn with the side seam no matter how tight the top where your chest is it won't fold the sleeve area and cause it to rise up and so it, look, it looks nice and it's practical. It's practical. That's the one thing. And two, around the stomach area, which is the biggest thing, we made it a little bit baggier. <laughs> right? So it's a tighter fit around, around the top, a little bit looser on the bottom. Yeah. You, don't, you don't notice that it's looser, but it's looser. Yeah. You, like, you don't notice it by the way it's, like, it's cut, but it's looser on the, on the midsection so that if you have a power belly, you know, you're good. Like, <laughs> the bottom's tapered, so it's good. So it looks good. It looks good when it comes down to that. And it helps a lot because... I bulk on my off season and I want to be able to wear these shirts outside of the, the gym. And that's what I told everyone. I'm like, if I'm going to make t-shirts, they're not just going to be for the gym because you're going to be wearing that one hour throughout the day. That's it. Maybe once or twice a week. I'm like, I want you to be able to wear these anytime, anywhere. It doesn't matter. Right. I want them to be comfortable enough for you to like go out with. So that's what I did. Made them practical. And also on the shoulder sleeves, I gave them another hard time with it. We were measuring for a while, but basically... If you notice the logo and the placement, I put this out on my Instagram before, but with the logo placement, 
we made it so that it's high enough off the bottom of the sleeve so that you could fold the sleeve twice but you'll still be underneath the logo so that's great because i hated i hated t-shirts before where the logo is on the sleeve but i couldn't fold my t-shirts without hiding the logo exactly i was like that's the best part i'm like why am i hiding it so that's what we did so a lot of measuring because at first we're like oh easy a fold is half an inch all right cool do a whole inch then nope i forgot there was a slight seam at the end like where it folds and there's an excess amount every little meticulous detail which i think is important because it shows when your customers get that product like when I buy from LVD or Bacon and Barbells, like you can feel, because I love supporting local yeah. brands. Um, so expect a purchase. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you can tell that they kept all of those little details in mind, yep. right? Because they know as an athlete what they like and they know what they would expect in a brand and they want to offer that as well and more. Exactly, exactly. That was the one thing. Because I'm like, honestly, I'm like, I don't want to be another guy just printing logos on a t-shirt. I'm like, a lot of people do that. Anybody can do that. Yeah, anyone can do that. I'm like, but what makes you different? Like, yeah, you can have incentives with your with your brand, but are they really getting the quality that they, they should be getting for that amount that they're paying? That's the one thing, so. And in order for you because you're putting in so much effort and being so meticulous and in order for you to make a profit, you know, your, the price needs to be maybe a little bit higher and you want your customer to feel like it's worth it. Yeah. That's, that's the biggest thing. Cause for ours, even as well with our current price range, the one thing that brought it up as well was because we're putting in money to a lifter's pot. So with every product, right, I was going to yeah. ask you about that. So every product, lifter's pot. Yeah. So every product that we sell, within the competitive line so meaning anything powerlifting related would be put towards a lifter's pot so that lifter's pot will be used towards like us sponsoring meets and giving cash prizes the one thing i'm gonna disclaim right now and you guys are gonna hear it first because i haven't said it on social media yet is that we're gonna be sponsoring junior and open provincials but we won't be able to use lifter's pot cash prize yet just because it's a new system it's not gonna be able to be implemented in this year's competition line yet we're gonna wait until 2019 we're gonna fully sponsor the OPA so we're gonna be an affiliate of the OPA meaning we're gonna be a brand sponsor for the direct federation of Ontario powerlifting how sorry how do you become a sponsor of of a you just have to pay money okay (laughs) simple as that okay you just have to pay a fee there's different levels to it so we're gonna be a sponsor to them and then what we're most likely going to do is only do local competitions. So do local competitions. One reason because is that with local competitions, there's more local support. Two, with the local competitions, we're a lot more flexible with how we would want to run our like prize system, right? Because it's by the meet director's discretion. It's what they want, what they can do, and what they're going to allow us to do. So it's a lot more flexible. But with higher level competitions, yeah, it's by the meet director as well, but it's a higher level competition. You have a lot more people and a bigger body to like work with, right? So we were already ready to to provide for that, but it's it wouldn't work out because it would just create co- too much conflict at this moment. So okay. I have been hearing that a lot, that 
there is not enough cash prizes at uh, a lot of these meets, which I feel, I feel that it's, it's kind of sad. You spend a lot of money to sign up for these meets. You spend money to prep for these meets. And I think your effort should go recognized. Oh, definitely. Like, if you look at the U.S., they have something called the U.S. Current Open, and they give off $15,000 in cash prize. For top prize. Oh. Top prize, yeah, top prize. And then, like, each person gets, like, a smaller prize. Like, that's, like, 10 grand, 5 grand, 8, whatever it might be, right? So, like, they still get a good amount of money in there. For us, however, I understand that we're a smaller federation. Um, we're a smaller community, for one. And we don't have as big of, like, a sponsor as them. They've got, like, Ape Man. They've got all the big names out there in the U.S. They're, like, the main founders of, like, powerlifting apparel. So, obviously, they got the money for it. That's fine. That's great. So, here, my intention wasn't, like, to give money like that in a sense of, like, okay, only the best can can win this, right, type of thing. Where, yeah, it's going to be mainly to the best lifters at the beginning. But mainly it was just to pay back like the the competitors for their hard work right to give them a little bit more incentive and to to make competition a little bit more fun because now it's going to make competition a lot more tighter and i believe this is actually going to snowball and help create and build a community because with my intention with this it wasn't actually to hold the whole aspect of like oh we're the one that started cash pies in canada no what I wanted to do is snowball this in effect to other brands reaching out as well, adding to it and maybe adding more to the lifters pot as time goes on. So then it's like, okay, great. Say we went from giving the winner a hundred dollars to, oh, wow, look, all these other sponsors came in. The winner now gets 500. Very smart. Right. So I don't want to be held accountable to be like, oh yeah, only we have the right to the lifters pot. No, everyone has the right to add on to it as long as their intention is for the competitors right that's all i want i think it's part of the evolution of the sport as well the sport has over the last maybe five years or so really become like that much more recognized and i think if you ask i don't know if you asked an olympic gymnast or a hockey player like when that sport was evolving there maybe wasn't as much funding or as much backing behind the sport so I think because powerlifting is still a quote-unquote new sport I think which is such a great thing like there's so much room to evolve it and I think your idea of this lifter's pot is is part of that honestly if it helps and I could see it helping the community a lot like I think it'd be a good aspect to like at least think about implementing because right now I'm actually speaking to a few members of the board like just asking for their opinions right now and I'm also going to be messaging um, the president of the CPU to look into it as well like just think about the the lifter spot and the whole aspect of it and how it could contribute back to the community right I've had good and bad responses with it. Some people feel they love it. Actually, 90% of people love it. Some said they don't like it just because of the fact that it could raise certain awareness or like 
certain things in competition when money is involved, like cheating, right? Which is normal, which is yeah. normal, which is normal. Yeah. And I expected that as well. That's also something that I expected to happen if money was involved. And two, one thing I'm afraid of is because now money is involved, it could be that, remember how within a community, everyone cheers for each other right. and loves for, like loves each other to hit their their next max. Or you think that's going to be lost when money's involved? Be. It might be. That's the only thing. I hope it doesn't. I don't, I don't think so because it's already it's already there. Yeah. Right? That was established before the money. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. I don't know if it will necessarily be lost, but you do make a good point. When money does become involved in, in anything, it does, it does complicate yeah. things. It does really... It can really change people's tone. Yeah. And somebody who may have just been like, oh my God, this is, this is so great. You know, powerlifting is such a, a community can turn into, well, now this is all about me because I need to get that money. That money can, you know, help me pay for some equipment or go towards some bills or whatnot like it becomes maybe a little individualistic in yeah. a sense like i can i can understand both sides yeah well, i could i could definitely understand both definitely. sides and it's not it's not negative to add on to it it's honestly it's just for us to be aware because i don't want to be going into this naive and it's like oh wow this is happening now oh my god why no it's like i want to look at all the pros and the cons behind it weigh them out and see and right now from what i see it's mainly pros in comparison to cons right um, but with it, it's going to be a slow process. I already know that it's going to be a slow process, but I actually want with it as well to change a lot of the things within competition. So with, aside from us doing lifter spot, I want to be more involved in the community of changing like the competition regulations. Mm. So one thing I've brought up as well within like my talk on prevail and how I wanted it to be was I mentioned that I wanted to also bring up the topics to the, to the board on standards of practice within our meet directors and how meets are ran. Because we've seen, it. we've seen it a lot of the time where some meets are amazing, they hit all the standards and more, and still the meet director is still able to take a good amount of money back to themselves. But then there's some meets where they cheat out completely on certain things and aspects for the lifters or the volunteers, right? And they get more money at the end, but they ran. It was a decent meet, don't get me wrong, everything went well, but at the same time, it wasn't good for the volunteers and the competitors, right? What do you consider to change? Not just to change, but what do you consider as a, a meet that went really well? Um, honestly, in terms of like the coordination and the logistics of it. Yeah. So one is definitely the coordination of how well the meet was ran as far as scheduling. That's one thing. Two is my main thing is did the volunteers get at least some kind of compensation, right? Did the volunteers get food? Were the volunteers provided with water? Simple as that. Were they provided with water? I've seen it. You've seen times. where they have not? Yes, actually. Or if they did, it's weird because it's just like small amount or it just wasn't enough it wasn't there because um, volunteers are there all day and sometimes there's st 
standing in a facility where the air circulation is not always the greatest. Exactly. So they are sweating profusely. And and to not have water? Yeah, it's odd, right? So water is usually not the not the biggest thing. Usually they get that. Like 99% of the time they'll get that. But yeah. at the same time, it's mainly like food. Like are the volunteers, the judges, are they getting food? Because it's an all-day thing. All day into it, from the early morning, like 9 a.m., possibly even earlier, all the way until the evening. Yep. It's like, and that's what's like, how are their rotations? Is it just one set of people on like a one-day meet? Like, that's horrible. You need at least two people, right? Like, two sets. And it's like, okay, that works out. But if you have a short-handed amount of volunteers, a few people have to stay on platform. And that's even harder. And I've seen that a few times. Um, with that, too, it's like, Aside from that, it's like when it comes down to competitors, quality of medals. Because if they're gonna be paying a hundred thirty now for a meet fee, right? When I first started, it was eighty bucks. Oh no, no, it was less than eighty. It was less than eighty dollars. I swear to God, it was less than eighty dollars when I first did my my first meet. It was less than eighty dollars, and it just slowly progressed more and more and more year per year because of the price of how much national fees were, and people were like basing off of the national fees, and that's just wow. a standard. It's just going up. It's it's natural. I expected that. Right, even like the price of our yearly um, membership, fee, it started at, for myself. If you were a student, I think it was twenty five. It's twenty five okay. or forty forty dollars at most. And what is it now? It's like ninety. Yeah, it went up. And you expect when you pay these fees that it's going to be reflected in your meat. Exactly the standards, right? So some meats don't get me wrong. Some meats have amazing, amazing, amazing like contributions back to like competitors and the volunteers and everything and they run everything perfectly and it's those same people that have been running that same meet for years on end now so they've already experienced everything and they already know what to do down to like the t so those guys are they're out of the picture they're amazing they're done right but in some meets where it's like when it comes down to it it's like obviously i'm not in the right place to tell someone how to spend their money because it's the meet director's money but at the same time the people are paying that much they should at least be rewarded accordingly accordingly it's like how are you because like for example some meat directors pay 16 17 dollars per medal which is a lot 16 17 dollars per medal right and some pay maybe like five dollars or less and you could see you could see the difference like i'm not like obviously like there's no one to point fingers on but it's just it's just a standard practice, right? That I want to help, like, address when it comes to You want to make the it. athletes feel like they're appreciated. Exactly. That all their hard work yeah. is being recognized and acknowledged. Yeah. And, like, as minimal as it sounds, like, oh, yeah, whatever, it's just a medal. But at the end of the day, like, that's your hard work, though. That medal ref- reflects your hard work, right? It's like, yeah, it might just be a medal, but at the same time, it's like, you know you worked that hard for it. Why did the meet director not go that far into it as yeah well, just right? you know put in a little bit more effort yeah that's the one thing so it's like i think it's contribution on both ends right you got athletes working hard get that meet the right they're working hard as well obviously they do because you get a lot of unpaid hours as a meet director and it's hectic running a meet as a meet director i've seen it firsthand people running around trying to get a meet together it's hard work it's honestly very hard work but i believe that if you signed up to be a meet director you should be ready for that to come right but yeah, simple things like that, honestly. That's the first things I want to address, simple things like that. But I've always, I've kept it open as well to the community where I've told people, I'm like, if you guys have any 
things that you I want to I see that on your Instagram. I see that you're, you're so open with uh, your followers and you're always wanting their opinion about your next moves that you might want to do with Prevail or some things that are going on in the powerlifting community and how they feel about them. Yeah, that's all I want because I, I told them, I was like, whatever we change here, it's not because of my likes and don't likes. It's not that. I don't care about what I like and don't like. Like, I've hit what I want to hit in competition. I've done what I wanted to, to do, and that was my goal, which was Worlds. That was my that was my biggest goal. At this point, I'm just having fun with it now. Like, the years beforehand, I was I was dead serious about powerlifting. I was like, oh, man, I want to be the best, this and that, blah, blah. I still do. I still want to do that. I still want to accomplish a lot more. But Don't you have a competition in the next few weeks? In two weeks. <laughs> I, I didn't train. <laughs> I saw that little comment that you made. You're like, yeah, I have juniors in a couple weeks, and I haven't really trained. <laughs> but, but how do you – but maybe you have, like, your own way of going about – training like maybe you are in a sense in a sense but ready yeah not really no <laughs> <laughs> um that was well to put it into short depression is real that took over for a while obviously affected training normal but the fact that you're still willing to compete yeah. says a lot i wasn't i wasn't gonna let that stop me i was like ah whatever i'm down for now i might be down during my competition day too but whatever like i'll still do it but I made a joke where I'm like, I'm going to open the 25 kilos, which is just the bar and the collars. <laughs> I'm actually going to do it in my Canada singlet. Like, <laughs> no one's going to stop me. Like, I'm actually, can you wear your Canada singlet yeah. to your meets? Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. Really? Yeah. I might borrow someone. I don't know. I might ask someone to ship me their USA singlet. <laughs> just so I can wear it. Really throw people <laughs> yeah, off. throw people off. Like, hi, guys. <laughs> I saw too that you got a Canada like jog like jogger oh, yeah, suit. Yeah, yeah. they're how is that? How it's does that feel? Amazing, honestly. Like I've like beforehand, I've dreamt of having like the Team Canvas like track suit. I was like, man, because as much as you can buy anything in powerlifting, as far as equipment, that uniform you have to earn. You have to earn that uniform firsthand. You can't just buy it. Like, it's not something that you just purchase right off the bat. We're like, okay, let me buy it. You have to earn that. And it's like, you have to get, like, your name embroidered. Well, not embroidered. You have to get your name printed onto it and everything. So that just makes it feel a lot, like, more amazing. Crazy. This is mine. Like, I earned this. Do you think that you're going to compete at Worlds again? This year. My final year in Sweden. Um, Only because it seems fun and... (laughs) I want to go to Sweden. No, pre- no pressure. <laughs> it seems fun. It seems fun. I want to go to Sweden. Like, it seems like a good time. I mean, get lost in Sweden for a few days, see what happens. I see that, like, once you get to a certain level, powerlifting can certainly open up a lot of traveling opportunities. Oh. Because a lot of things happen more um, over the border, like in the States or like across the world. Yeah. <laughs> even that alone, like, even across, like, provinces or, like, Places you don't intend to go, but you have to go <laughs> at a certain yeah. point. Like, I never intended to go to Calgary. I'm like, why would I want to go to Calgary? So Calgary made me learn. It's not nice there? It's I love it in Calgary when it comes down to, like, the mountain area. Yeah. Everything else, it's like, there's not much. <laughs> there I like, heard it's beautiful there. It's but nice. It's nice. There's Again, there's not really much out there. It's nice. During the winter, though, the air is so fresh and dry. I almost died from, like, itchiness <laughs> from my skin. <laughs> But Calgary, my drive to um, 
uh, what was their their mountain area called again? Um, I have no idea. <laughs> I blanked out completely. I blanked <laughs> out completely. The mountain is Bam. Oh, Bam. Yes. yes Bam. Bam. So I blanked out like so. Bam. My drive was so long that I tried tuning into the radio station, and I kid you not, <laughs> every radio st- station, no matter if it was hip hop, if it was like R and B, soul or country, it was always country. <laughs> across the board it was like country hip-hop country r&b i was like what is this and i was like so i ended up learning to love country by the end of my trip from bam that's great that's great. great opening up you know new horizons uh new ideas about music through powerlifting yes, i have a country playlist now thank you, <laughs> thank you calgary <laughs> oh my gosh that's crazy so you're also a full-time student which you just let me know, you are in massage therapy school. Yes. And how are you balancing all of these things? I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still learning. Yeah, like the the coaching and prevail and obviously depression. Yes. Like that's that's a battle in itself. Anxiety during yeah. the day I'm like yeah. oh man I'm gonna fuck up but yeah <laughs> nah it's um it's a lot to balance at first but now I'm starting to get it down to a schedule so athletes and everything they know they can message me throughout the day no problem that's not a problem but they know that I'll update their programs every Sunday right and they'll get it like Sunday night or so right so they'll get it Sunday and then when it comes down to prevail if I'm not studying or if I'm doing study breaks so with my studying what I do is 25 25 off so 25 minutes on 25 minutes off during the times off that i am not studying i work on prevail quickly and then i go back to studying do you find like that really helps with your anxiety to have that structure oh no anxiety with my anxiety is a little different yeah it's like i have triggers and when i do have a trigger i get like it doesn't matter the structure it doesn't matter the structure it's like for myself i only have certain triggers though i only have certain triggers um but when i do get a trigger i hyperventilate and that's the scariest thing for me because I've passed out twice from it, and I'm afraid of like it happening throughout the day. So luckily, it doesn't happen um, often now, right? Um, but yeah, so. I mean, it's it's a work in progress. Like everything that that you're doing in life, right? Yeah. Everything down to like your mental health to all the things that you want to accomplish. Everything is a work in progress. Nothing. It seems like for you, nothing is ever going to be finished you're always going to be working on something do you feel that way yeah definitely because one thing that i've actually well i'm not gonna tell you guys <laughs> but <laughs> with prevail it's actually got many structures to it and my end goal with it is a little bit different from i think what everyone thinks it is um, so you're only, saying it's not just going to be a, cl- a clothing it's line it's not just going to be a clothing that's line. great it's not going to be a clothing line but one thing i'm going to give you guys is a rundown for what prevail is probably going to be in the future is when I do open up a clinic, what I want to happen is the front being a storefront, the side being a clinic, and in the back, if there's enough room, I want to have like a small gym where I could train clients or even let my clients train in just in the back, right? Have like an ER rack or two in the back, a few squat racks, plates, things like that. Something simple, but when I'm, my goal is basically to keep myself busy. So when I'm not massaging clients, because when I am an RMT, I'm most likely just going to max myself out to about five clients a day, just for general purposes where I don't want to, 
let myself get too tired throughout the day, yeah. obviously. I have a friend who's a registered massage therapist, and her clientele is quite consistent, but even she said after maybe two clients, that's like a 90-minute massage. You're tired. You're tired. Yeah, get tired. Like, luckily for myself, my body mechanics are pretty good where I don't hurt during the massage, but I do feel the difference in technique and, like, in quality of what I'm working with. I'm like, max, I can do is probably five space out five because if i'm not i'm gonna get bad bad massages i'll be able to do them no problem but i won't give the quality of massage that i want to right and two it's like so like i said when i'm not working with clients i'm gonna be working on the store shipping out orders whatever it might be answering calls emails clients and when i'm not doing that i could be training clients in the back so mm. all of it adds on to each other um little by little um started with coaching as you saw, created a clientele base there. See, I just want to see if people like actually supported me. <laughs> that was one thing. That was one thing I want to see, and they did. Shocking with how much support I got. Um, I think it has best. to do a lot with. I mean, even with the short time that we've been sitting here talking, I think it has a lot to do with your how authentic you are and how much you genuinely seem to care. I think that's how you got all those people to support you. Yeah, probably because honestly. I didn't want to, I hated formal, speak, like people talking to me formally. I hated that. <laughs> oh my God, it's professional. Like people always told me, oh, you have to be professional if you own a business. You have to do this. You have to talk like this. And I'm like, no, I don't. Things like, are, yeah, things have kind of changed. Yeah. And like younger business owners now and entrepreneurs, the exchange is different now. Like I know a few business owners who are not that form when you come across them they're great they're fa they're fantastic they're so genuine they know exactly what they're talking about they're very informed in their field but i wouldn't consider them to be like a formal and corporate professional yeah, every time you. they spew words out exactly that's the one thing that i i never like took account to because i hated i hated like being able like i don't know i hated myself where i would have to like stop or like hold myself back from saying certain things just so I could stop be, being you yeah just so I could be socially acceptable or like politically accept acceptable and I'm like I don't want to be that person because then I'm not being transparent and my brand is all about transparency right whatever it might be if anyone has any question email us hit me up message me text me DM me I don't care we'll answer right to the best of our abilities Whatever it might be, if we can't answer, I'll literally tell you I don't know the answer. Like, I <laughs> but wish I'll I could find tell out you. for you. Like, I'll tell you myself, but I don't know. <laughs> like, I'll Google it. Hopefully, it'll know. But yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting that you said that you want to run all of these different businesses at the same time. I'm seeing that a little bit more in our in, in Toronto, where there are businesses that are doing that. Uh, my boyfriend goes to a barber where at the front it's a it's a barber shop, but upstairs is a restaurant. Like it's the same yeah. owner, but they're just offering two different services. And then right on Young Street, there's a tattoo slash hair styling hairdressing yeah. spot. Yeah, but at the end of the day too, it's like usually if you see these businesses, they always have some kind of like niche behind them, and they always go back to that same niche. They always go back and they always intertwine with that first initial process. Like with Prevail, my initial process was clientele-based. And that's what I always want to stick to, coaching, training clients. Now, what can I do for my clients? When 
and let's say they're injured, what can I do for them? I can give them a massage, right? I'm a people person. I love giving back to people, so I work with people all the time. So if I'm not training them, I could be rehabbing them, right? Or if I'm not rehabbing them, I could sell them clothing that they might like because they are already affiliated with the brand anyways, being an athlete under me. Like, here you go. There you go. Like, here's the brand that you've been supporting for so long. Here's a face to it. And how multi-purpose it is, too. Exactly. That's the one thing. That's all I wanted. And like I said, with Prevail, I wanted clothing that could work in any aspect. I didn't want just gym clothing. When people, I, when I told people that last year, right, people laughed at me. They're like, what do you mean? Like, oh, does this mean I could wear it with jeans? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. You could. <laughs> I'm like, you literally see me wearing them with jeans and a bomber. <laughs> like, like, I'll rock it with a jeans and, like, anything. Like, I rock it with, like, anything. So that's what I wanted. I wanted a colorway that would, or colorways that would work well with anything. Where it's like, the tone of it doesn't just sit with, like, oh, it's hardcore in the gym only. Or it looks tacky and you can only wear it in the gym. You know what I mean? Like I wanted something that's like good for everywhere, right? So, that's great to hear. And uh, I have had such a pleasure sitting and talking with you. I was a little awkward at first, just because we've never met before. Um, but I'm I'm so excited to see what things lie ahead for you. I, I mean, I think you are going to accomplish so much. I think you are accomplishing so much already. At such a young age, 21 years old, is is incredible. A world champion in the powerlifting world, um, you know, battling depression, but not letting it define you, and you know, starting a a clothing line, being a coach, and a massage therapist. I mean, one day soon, people are gonna be talking about you. Hopefully. I mean, like, within this hour and a half, you gassed me so much. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, I'm but you should know. I'm going to probably, like, listen to this a few times. <laughs> My head might get a little too big, but it's okay. It's okay. But that's okay, <laughs> and, I think, and I think you deserve it. I think oh. you deserve it, and I think you do. I think everyone needs to hear that they're doing a good job because we live in a world where I don't think that's said enough to people. I don't think people are appreciated enough. I don't... I mean, I don't mean like you need to hear every single day how amazing you are. Yeah, of course. Because after a while, you're like, okay, I don't even believe you at this point. But it's nice, especially when you're having a downtime or, you know, things are just not going your way. It's good to hear from people that I see you and I see what you're accomplishing and you're, you're onto such great things. Honestly, it's so humbling. Like experiences like this or even like when people talk about it because half the time, I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> like, are you sure you're talking yeah, about me? Yeah, like, yeah, like, I don't even see that. Like, I don't even say it myself. That's why. Like, I don't say it myself as of yet. Because I keep telling everyone, I'm like, because they, they keep asking, like, why do you start a clothing line? I'm like, I just want to make clothes for myself, but it's cheaper to buy it in bulk. <laughs> like, everyone just has to wear the same things I'm wearing. Like, that's all it is. Like, all the things that I'm making are the things I want to make and wear. That's all it is. So, like. And, yes. that, and that's the important thing, right? Is that you're doing something that you like. And when people vibe off of that and feel that, they support it 100%. Yeah, that's the one thing. So, and two, it's a lot easier. Because, like, <laughs> like, no one gets mad at you. <laughs> like, not as, people, as much people get mad as you. Because they don't, they don't think of you as, like, a hard-ass brand. Where it's like, oh, like, they're stuck to their policies, this and this. If you yeah. see my policy list, it's so simple. Yeah. What's your return? Like, free 
<laughs> what do you yeah, mean? because it's it's about more for you, right? Yeah. It's about more for you. Well, thank you so much, John, for joining me. And uh, enjoy the rest of your day. I know, I know it's a busy one. This is amazing. This is fun. <laughs> great, great. Thank you all so much for joining me and John today. Uh, that was another episode of Inside the Ordinary, and I'll see you for the next one.